Good morning, Snowden. Good morning. This morning we're going to read Exodus 18 from 1 to 12. Exodus 18, 1 to 12. Jethro visit Moses. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God has done for Moses and for his people Israel. And how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zephora, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. One son was named Jeroham. For Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer. For he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved, he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the desert, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had, Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeting each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptian for Israel's sake and about all the hardship they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptian and Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the, of the Egyptian. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all, all other gods, for he did Things he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Amen for God's word. Good morning. Yes, the children may now be dismissed for their classes. Good catch, Fred. Thank you. And as we prepare to open our hearts and minds to the word of God, let's bow our heads once again and pray. Father in heaven, uh, by your eternal decree, you have 
said that through the foolishness of preaching, um, you will get work done. And we pray, dear Father, that simply you would have your way this morning, whether it be by your Holy Spirit to encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, move us in another direction. Perhaps you want to regenerate and save someone here this morning. We pray, dear God, that you in your sovereign almighty sway uh, would have your way. May I decrease as you increase, and may your word speak now through your Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by saying I'm very thankful for my brothers, uh, Charles and Ed, who I think very skillfully led us through the last two portions of the book of Exodus. Uh, Ed three weeks ago with Exodus 15, and Charles last week with Exodus 16 and 17. This morning, we come to Exodus 18, and our focus will be on just the first 12 verses of the chapter that were read for us just a few moments ago. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Exodus 18, or you can follow along with the verses that we will have on screen. Now, we may remember from last week, at the tail end of Exodus 17, we have the story of Israel going to battle with Amalek. God gave Israel victory over the people of Amalek, which also meant that Yahweh, God of Israel, displayed his superiority over the gods, small g gods, of Amalek. So then, at the tail end of Exodus 17, we, what we have is God expressing his power over a nation and its gods, over the nation of Amalek in that instance. In Exodus 18, God is again at work in the midst of another people group. Namely, he's working this time amidst the Midianites, although now God works in a somewhat different way than he had with Amalek. Let's pick up the story at Exodus 18.1. Exodus 18.1 begins with a re-identification of the man Jethro. The first part of the verse says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. This person, Jethro, was first introduced to us back in Exodus chapter 2, where we were told that Jethro had seven daughters. He lived in what I refer to as Estrogen Palace. He had seven daughters, one of whom, we remember, was the lovely Zipporah, who'd been given to Moses as a wife. So that was Exodus 2. But then the last mention of Jethro prior to our verse at Exodus 18, the last mention of him is Exodus 4.18, where Moses had received the blessing of his father-in-law Jethro to travel back to Egypt from Midian. So it's been a long time in the narrative since we've heard anything about Jethro. Now at 18.1, he's freshly identified for us as the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Notice here carefully that Jethro is the priest of Midian. Who were 
the Midianites. Midianites, as a people group, had descended from Abraham. In fact, Midian himself had been born to Abraham through Abraham's concubine, Keturah. But Abraham had sent away the sons born to him through concubines. Those sons were sent away to go live in the east, the Bible tells us. And so the Midianites became desert dwellers. And a little later in the Bible, it was the Midianites who sold Joseph to Potiphar in Genesis 37. Midianites, as the Old Testament progresses, become enemies of Israel. In fact, a point came where Midian was threatening the very existence of Israel. Jethro, according to Exodus 18.1, was a priest of Midian. Now, it is interesting, I think, to consider the fact that Moses, who many of us consider to be sort of the prime Israelite, Moses had a Midianite wife in the person of Zipporah. Moses had a Midianite father-in-law in the person of Jethro. Moses had kids with Midianite blood flowing through their veins through his Midianite wife, Zipporah. As commentator Dwayne Garrett says, Part of the point here in Exodus 18.1 is simply to show us that in the very family of Moses, Midian and Israel are merged. In the very family of Moses, Midian and Israel were merged. Well, this Midianite priest, Jethro, this non-Israelite priest named Jethro, who served gods other than Yahweh, Jethro heard, says verse 1, he heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. Faith comes by hearing, according to Romans 10.17. Jethro had heard about the mighty acts of Yahweh for the nation of Israel. And how had Jethro heard? Well, it actually doesn't tell us here, but probably Jethro had heard tell of Yahweh and his mighty acts from a couple of sources. First, from the caravans, common in the ancient Near East, who may have been traveling through Midianite territory after their travels in and around Egypt. Jethro had heard from the people in the caravans the strange and powerful things that had been happening to Israel over in Egypt. And then secondly, probably, since we're going to learn shortly here that Moses' wife Zipporah and her sons had been sent back by Moses to Jethro, sent back from the vicinity of Egypt over to Midianite territory, probably Zipporah had come back telling stories to her father, Jethro, also of what had been happening to Israel down in Egypt. And so again, Jethro had heard reports about what God had done through his daughter Zipporah herself, probably, and through caravans. Let's go on to verses 2 and 3. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, notice how many times 
that is repeated in our text that he is Moses' father-in-law. It happens several times through the passage. The narrator wants us to understand that Moses is part of this family. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he, Moses, had sent her home along with her two sons. Now this is very interesting here. This is the only mention we have of this separation that had happened between Moses and his wife and two sons, where Moses had sent his wife and two sons back to Midianite territory to be with Jethro. We wonder, was this in any way related to that little spat that Moses and Zipporah had had in Exodus 4 over the circumcision of their son? Was the marriage in trouble so that Moses thought it best to send Zipporah and sons back to her father for sort of a cooling off period? Maybe, but of course that's an argument from silence. It could be simply that Moses had perceived the danger of the mission in Egypt and wanted his wife and sons protected, and so he sent them back to Jethro. We just don't know what happened here. Some have gone so far as to argue that this was Moses divorcing Zipporah as he sent her back to Jethro, but I think the argument is rather weak in the end. I think the best we can say here is that Moses may have been trying to take Zipporah and the kids out of harm's way, and so he sent them back to Jethro. And then in verses 3 and 4, we get the essential meanings of the names of Moses' sons. Gershom was so named because of Moses' experience. I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And Eliezer was so named because the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And then verses 5 through 7. I hope you're following with me. Now we get a description of the rendezvous that happened between Moses and Jethro. And again, these two have not seen each other since Exodus 4. And lots and lots has happened from Exodus 4 up until Exodus 18. Verse 5 says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped. Where was he encamped? At the mountain of God. Now just notice this in passing. Moses here is camped at the mountain of God. At the very place that God had promised that Moses and Israel would come to at last after all their trials and difficulties, after all of God's miraculous deliverances. Way back at Exodus 3.12, at the burning bush, God had said to Moses, even before Moses had ever gone to Pharaoh, God had said to Moses that one day Moses and Israel would come back to the mountain there to worship and serve God. And now here they were. Exodus 18.5 is like a foreshadow of what's about to happen in Exodus 19 and following, where God will reveal to Israel from the mountain both his law and the instructions for the tabernacle. 
This heats up. Verse 6, Jethro is on his way to meet Moses by the mountain. Jethro sends word to Moses, probably by way of a messenger. I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Again, I won't try to sustain that throughout the sermon. (laughs) Just trying to keep you awake here. So Moses now gets word of about what's about to happen, and then verse 7, notice verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. In good ancient Near Eastern fashion, Moses shows appropriate reverence Love and respect to the elder man, Jethro. He goes out and meets Jethro and bows down to Jethro and kisses Jethro. Notice carefully here, before we proceed any further, the warmth, the honor, and the love that Israelite Moses gives to Midianite Jethro, Moses, who knew Yahweh, gives this show of tenderness and warmth to one who served gods other than Yahweh. You see this? Now, interestingly enough, we get zero word here. Notice carefully, we get zero word of how Moses responded to Zipporah and their sons. Notice, there's absolutely nothing here about Moses embracing Zipporah and the boys. Nothing about Moses kissing his wife or hugging his kids. I love what Victor Hamilton, commentator Victor Hamilton says here. It's both a little humorous, but I think also instructive. Hamilton says, I am sure that if I had seen neither my father-in-law nor my wife for a long time, I know which one I am going to kiss first. (laughs) But Hamilton continues, but that is a Westerner speaking. Middle Eastern cultures, both past and present, operate differently. And so I think we can forgive Moses here for only recording his reunion, as he writes Exodus, only recording his reunion with his father-in-law and not his wife and kids. The end of verse 7 says that Moses and Jethro, notice, asked each other of their welfare, I think that's a good translation, asked each other of their welfare, and went into the tent. Again, just notice the warmth and the affection between these two here. Each inquired as to the welfare of the other. And then beginning in verse 8, we have what is really the content of, of what Jethro and Moses discussed while they were inside the tent. Verse 8, Then Moses told his father-in-law, what? Now keep in mind here that Moses himself had played a major instrumental role in all the goings-on within Egypt. Moses had done all sorts of stuff around Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Israelites. Moses had endured all sorts of high-stress moments. 
And Moses had led with astonishing perseverance in a situation where most leaders would have simply thrown in the towel. To be sure, Moses played a massive part in the exodus out of Egypt. But yet, Moses doesn't want to tell Jethro about Moses at all. Notice this carefully. What Moses tells Jethro in the tent is all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All that Yahweh had done. The plagues and the Red Sea had been Yahweh's work. And notice carefully, Christian, that the testimony that Moses gives unbelieving Jethro is truly a God-centered testimony. It's about God and God's mighty acts. It's not about Moses or anything Moses was about or anything Moses had become. When we share testimony, it must be about God about what God has done in Jesus Christ, about God's power, God's nature, God's actions, and God's purposes, and God's kingdom. I like the wisdom that Peter Enns gives us on this subject. Enns says to us, always remember that there is a difference between look what God has done in my life It's the difference between that and look what God has done in my life. See the difference there? What God has done is the crucial thing. Amen? Is the important thing. Our own life story, though it may be interesting, is of lesser importance as we share testimony. Moses told Jethro all that Yahweh had Done. May that be our song as well. Psalm 96, verse 3. Whose glory is it that we are to declare to the nations? Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. It's about His glory, His fame, His praise. May, may that be our song even this week as we live and move and have our being amongst the nations right here in Montreal. Notice also here in Exodus 18.8, oh, notice this, that in his gospel presentation, if we can call it that, in his Old Testament gospel presentation, Moses also tells Jethro about what? About all the hardship. Oh, we need to pause over this. About all the hardship that had come upon Israel in the way. So they're sitting there in the tent. Moses is there with Jethro. And Moses says to Jethro, Yeah, Dad, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. As stunned as we were, and as fearful as we felt that day when we saw Yahweh rip apart the sea, and as amazed and as shocked as we were even earlier when that lamb's blood 
actually did turn away the tenth plague from us, aside from all that amazing good stuff that God did for us, Jethro, there were also great hardships that I want to tell you about. There was no water at Merah. The people grumbled over lack of food, and at one point they almost stoned me to death. And there was that rebellion that happened over the shortage of water at Massa, not to mention the war we waged against Amalek. Hardships and trials. We need to note this, friend. Moses, as he gives his gospel presentation to this pagan priest, includes talk of hardships and pain and difficulties that had been encountered. Yes, Yahweh had delivered the people through the hardships. But Moses is careful to spend time talking about the hardships themselves. Sometimes I fear... In our contemporary gospel presentations, there can be a tendency to avoid talking about defeats and hardships in connection with the life of faith. And instead, we sometimes want to present to people a sort of 100% victorious and successful sort of gospel picture of, of faith in Christ that I think is unrealistic and quite unhelpful. In Doug Stewart's Exodus commentary, he puts it like this. He says, A tendency exists in modern evangelical testimony to emphasize only victorious, successful parts of one's experience as a believer. Stewart says, Note how something of the opposite prevails in Moses' discussion with Jethro. He told him about all the hardships they had met along the way, not to the exclusion of telling him how the Lord had saved them, but with a proper balance of the difficulties and the deliverances, lest his potential convert wrongly think that God does not allow his people to face many dangers and trials in the process of their ultimate deliverance. Close quote. I like that. I think it's so very important. May we glean from this little notice here in verse 8, that Moses included a discussion of all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, as he tells Jethro of Yahweh's delivering power. Well, verse 8 has Moses sharing the gospel, in Old Testament terms at least. He's told his father-in-law about Yahweh's mighty exodus actions. And prior to his gospel presentation, Moses had warmly lovingly and respectfully greeted Jethro outside the tent. How does Jethro respond to Moses' warmth and Moses' gospel presentation? Verse 9, notice verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced. We could render the Hebrew here. Jethro was gladdened. Jethro delighted. For all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. For Jethro, this was an actual, real experience of inner joy and delight. 
as he considered all the good that Yahweh had done. Psalm 145, verse 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let's go to verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh. (laughs) Wow. The Midianite priest Jethro now has the name of Israel's God, the living God, the true God, on his lips. Blessed be Yahweh, he says, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And then in verse 11, we get Jethro's confession. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods. Now stop right there for a moment. This is a vitally important sentence in the book of Exodus. Set your eyes on it with me. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods. This is what Jethro of Midian says. I think it was in the fifth sermon in this series of sermons on Exodus where we talked about Yahweh's knowledge campaign. Do you remember that? How Yahweh throughout Exodus 5 to 15 wanted Pharaoh and wanted Egypt and Israel and the nations to know that he is Yahweh. Remember? That phrase repeats like a refrain in those chapters of Exodus. And Pharaoh in particular had shown over and over and over again that he was dull, that he was slow in coming to acknowledge God. Here at Exodus 18.11, God is gaining glory as his desire to be known throughout the, the nations in the world is coming true in this Midianite individual Jethro, who says, now I know, I am acknowledging, that Yahweh is greater than all gods. Jethro of Midian shows a quickness here to acknowledge Yahweh that Pharaoh of Egypt never showed. Exodus 18.11 is a sign that that Yahweh's world mission is now in full swing. It's bearing fruit even at this early stage of the Bible. Jethro sees here that his, his Midianite gods that he had been serving, that they were now subordinate to the greatest of all gods, Yahweh of Israel. Moses' gospel presentation was bearing fruit. Let's go to verse 12, our final verse. Notice that the rejoicing and praising of verses 10 and 11 now issues in acts of worship on the part of Jethro. Moses and Jethro are having church inside this tent. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, after his blessing of Yahweh and praise to Yahweh, now he brings a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is an amazing scene here. And it may be noteworthy that the last major meal in Exodus had been Exodus 12 and the Passover. The Passover meal had happened just prior to 
the mighty action of God at the Red Sea. Similarly, here in Exodus 18, we have this covenant meal that Jethro, Moses, and Aaron share together. And this meal happens just prior to another mighty action of God. Namely, this happens just before the giving of the law at Sinai, which will happen very shortly. All right, so having walked through another text of Exodus, let's just briefly reflect just a little bit more on what we've seen today in the Word. Last week, Charles was our guide as we listened to Israel grumble against God in the wilderness. This morning, we've heard a Midianite man praise God for his goodness to Israel while they were in the wilderness. Jethro's praise of the God who acted in the wilderness acts here almost like a critique of the Israelites grumbling at the same God. And where Israel had expressed a desire to stay in Egypt, 17.3, while Israel even wished that they had died in Egypt, 16.3, the Gentile Jethro has exulted over the fact that God brought Israel out of Egypt. In 18, 9, and 10. So this is an amazing thing here, this contrast between Jethro and Israel. As John Currid has put it, the faith of the Gentile Jethro is putting to shame the faith of the Hebrew. What Jesus said about the Roman centurion in Matthew 8:10 could be said about Jethro. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. It's an amazing contrast here. This morning we've watched and listened as Moses showed warmth and hospitality and love toward his Midianite father-in-law, Jethro, before Moses shared the good news of God's mighty acts with Jethro. Moses coupled his personal warmth with a verbal rehearsal of the God-centered Old Testament gospel. And in that discussion, as we've noted, Moses did not leave out the hardships that Israel had endured along the way. And Jethro responded to all of it with rejoicing and praise and a confession of faith and worship. It was Moses proclaiming God's mighty acts that brought Jethro to faith in Yahweh. And friends, in Revelation 15.4, it is the same idea in New Testament Times. In Revelation 15:4, it is God's righteous acts revealed that is the catalyst that sparks the worship of the nations. I'll say that one more time. In Revelation 15:4, it is God's righteous acts revealed that is the catalyst that sparks the worship of the nations. The last sentence of Revelation 15:4, all nations will come and worship you, and why? For or because your righteous acts have been revealed. The nations worship due to the revelation of God's mighty acts, just as it was with Jethro. And it's us the church, 
who are the God-ordained stewards of this revelation of God's righteous acts. We, the church, are the stewards of what Ephesians 3.10 calls the manifold wisdom of God. We are now the vehicle in the world, did you know that, that makes known the manifold wisdom of God to the nations, to the Jethro's who live all around us. It's you and I who have been entrusted with the gospel, believing friend, with the message of the mighty acts that God has undertaken in his son, Jesus Christ. And so like Moses meeting Gentile Jethro, we must be genuinely warm and genuinely hospitable to those outside the faith. Amen? As Moses did not shrink from the task of proclaiming verbally the mighty acts of God to Jethro, complete with his talk of trials and hardships along the way, neither should we shrink from the mandate to spread and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. And so this very week, would you pray, would you commit to doing this, to pray and to ask God for strength and for courage and for opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ, born, crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again, to share that message and the message of salvation with someone in your life. Seek the Lord for space and for time where you can share with a loved one or a friend the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And if it helps you, meditate through the first four chapters of Romans to develop a gospel presentation. Those initial chapters of Romans give really what I think is an unsurpassed outline of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, Romans 1-4 to tells us that every human being, doesn't matter who you are, every human being is accountable to the God who made them. Second, those chapters tell us the problem. The problem is that every human being, save Jesus, has rebelled against the God to whom they are accountable. Third, Romans 1-4 to tells us, that God has provided the solution to humanity's sin and guilt, and the solution's name is Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death and his resurrection are the solution. And then fourth, Romans 3.22 says that righteousness before God comes, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is for all who believe. Romans 1 through 4 is then a God-centered account of the mighty acts that God has undertaken in his son Jesus Christ to deliver us from our Egypt, from sin, from death, and from the devil. Those chapters give us a great and powerful summary of the gospel message. But then maybe this morning, lastly, maybe this morning you're a person who sees yourself more in the shoes of Jethro 
than in the shoes of Moses who's sharing the gospel. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been working on you even during this worship time this morning as you've listened to the sermon, as you've sung the songs. You've come to the realization, perhaps, for the first time that this God of the Bible, God revealed in the Bible, who's revealed himself most fully in Jesus Christ, that this God is, in fact, God above all gods. That he deserves your praise and your worship and your life. If that's you, I praise God for his work in your life. And I encourage you earnestly to approach me or to approach one of the deacons after the service who will be up here praying. We would love to listen to you to talk with you, to pray over you and with you, and to get some literature into your hands. Let's pray now as we adjourn to the Lord's table. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have revealed yourself both in your mighty acts throughout history and in your word, in the verbal written word that you have given us. Uh, that tells us of your mighty acts. We pray, Lord, that you would give us fresh creativity as your children this week as we work, as we have leisure time, as we are in our homes, uh, to share your powerful, mighty acts with those around us who have not heard of you or who perhaps need to hear of you. We pray that you would give us tact and give us words to speak, uh, close our mouths when necessary, and help us to listen to those around us. We pray for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. So the benediction is, go as children of God, remember the words spoken here, Review the songs sung here. Rely on the fellowship known here. Reverence the Savior worshipped here. Recollect the blessings found here. Respond to the Spirit met here. Until by God's grace we return here through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.